All right, so if you want uh, to follow along in a Bible, there might be some black hardcover Bibles in the, in the pew around you there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 in a little bit. Now, we're going to continue on. This is kind of the rest of the story of John the Baptist. A few weeks ago, I uh, spoke about John the Baptist, how he was the one who went ahead of Jesus. Even before Jesus was on the scene, John the Baptist was the one going and telling people, repent, the king is coming, the kingdom is near, the Messiah is coming, get right with God, the Messiah is coming. This was John's message. This was John the Baptist. He was baptizing people when Jesus showed up one day and said to everybody, look, this is the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah. And Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. This was what we talked about a few weeks ago. Now, the end of the story is, is not exactly a happy ending. Not exactly a happy ending for John the Baptist. This would have been a, a situation where John and we're going to read about this story in Luke 7, where John had a moment where he said, I've, Jesus, I've followed you all these days. I did everything right, and now here I am. The end of my story is not going well. And he had a moment of doubt, like, is this even worth it? Does this faith thing even work? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Maybe you are here, and this is the message you need to hear today of there might be things going on in your world where you're, where you're thinking, is faith in God, what, what good does it do? Is it even worth it? Because my life is still a mess. Things are still falling apart. I keep battling through these things. And I would have thought that faith in God would tend to make some of these things better. So as we do that, I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever, and maybe it was a late night, you know, watching TV and an infomercial came on and you thought, that sham wow looks awesome. I need three of those. I got to buy one of those. Or whatever the product was, a miracle product that you ordered or you got, and about five minutes into it, you realized, oh, this thing's a piece of junk, right? It just doesn't, this thing doesn't work. We've had a few of those in, in our family. Um, and I was thinking about them and I was asking Christy about them today a little bit, and all I could remember were the ones that Christy bought and then turned out to be no good. So I, I, I will use her as an example today. But actually, recently, a few weeks ago, um, she came to me. You know, it's Minnesota in the summertime, and there's lots of bugs around. And so we love being in our backyard, but the bugs are everywhere. So Christy came and said, there was an article online. There's this thing, this concoction you can make at home, and you spray it all around your patio and backyard. And the lady that, that says it says it gets rid of bugs for, like, weeks at a time. And I'm like, okay. So, she's, and so, so she goes to the store and gets the ingredients. And the ingredients, no joke, were beer, Epsom salt, and blue mouthwash. No joke. This is what the article said. Mix these things together and then spray them all around your backyard. So, of course, we, you know, we're like, yay, let's do it. So we mix all the ingredients together and we're spraying all this around our backyard. And so then the next day we're like, oh, it's going to be great. And I think the bugs were more fierce that day than ever. And I think they were, I think they actually, I think they actually liked the concoction we made. This is awesome. They're spraying beer all over the yard. Bugs, let's go. This is a party. No, they were, and it was the worst. And we realized about five minutes in, yeah, this doesn't work. This doesn't work at all. We have, um, we have a, a track record. Um, you know, we've got a missions trip coming up to Panama and a few other big events that Christy and I do where we need to order things online. So glow, like glow sticks, 5,000 glow sticks or whatever, a, a dress for a performance that we're going to be doing in Panama in a week. And Christy will be online and every, it never fails. Every time she sees, well, there's a deal. I think it's coming from China, but this dress is only $17. We actually did this 
um, for poor Lucy, our oldest, for prom season. We were having a hard time finding a prom dress for her. So it was another one where, like, this is $17. I mean, even if it's terrible, let's try it out. So all these things we order from this website, it comes from China, so it, like, takes two months to get there. And we realize as soon as we open the package, oh, yeah, this is why we don't order things from here. Like, there's three neck holes or whatever, whatever it is. It's just, like, obviously this was not what it was cracked up to be. Um, you realize early, maybe it's a piece of exercise equipment that's collecting dust in your basement or a, a miracle thing that would fix scratches in your car or a spray, something that could fix the bald spot on the top of your head, whatever it was, and you realize, yeah, this isn't working. This isn't working. Well, I have talked to people, and maybe you're one of those people today, where they see faith in God like that. They would say, oh, I actually had a conversation with someone, and I was talking about church, and their comment was, oh, church, I tried that. It didn't work. And I was just remember thinking, it didn't work. Like, what, what were you trying to do with it? You know, how did it not work? But a lot of people see faith that way, of I've put my faith in God, doesn't work. Nothing got better. Didn't fix anything. It was like this, it's like the ShamWow or the Bowflex, you know, workout equipment or whatever it is that you tried didn't work and now it's just something that you've set aside. And I think for a lot of people, the biggest roadblock to faith in God is, yeah, I prayed and my loved one still got sick. Or I prayed and this never happened. It didn't get, nothing in my life got better. I prayed for my marriage and my marriage fell apart. So why would I continue to do that? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Or maybe you see all the tragedy that goes on around the world and you, you can't quite connect a loving God, a God that says, put your faith in me and I'm going to be with you, and yet all the bad things that happen all around the world. So whether it's in our lives or what we see around the world, we have those moments where we think, what, what good is faith? What good is faith in this world where there's times where it doesn't seem to make a lot of difference? It doesn't help things get better. It doesn't work. So as we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, the rest of the story of John the Baptist, a moment where John the Baptist, such a faithful, devoted follower of Jesus for those years, now at the end of his story, things have fallen apart. It's going to be in Luke chapter 7. We're going to get there in a little bit because in Luke chapter 7, we find out that John is in prison. John the Baptist is in prison. But the Gospel of Luke doesn't give us a lot of details of what happened between when Luke baptized Jesus and when he ended up in prison. But some of the other Gospels, um, I'll be reading some of the verses from the Gospel of John, they give a lot more detail of what happened there. So after John the Baptist, and I'll kind of go through this pretty quick. Um, after John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, Jesus starts his public ministry. Jesus is going around. He's gathering more and more crowds around him. He's gathering more and more followers. He's performing miracles. Everybody loves Jesus. They are following him. The crowds are following him. And John the Baptist, he still has some disciples, but obviously... He's not as popular anymore. Everyone is all about Jesus. So John the Baptist is still being faithful, still preaching, still pointing to Jesus. But yet his following is getting smaller and smaller. He, they can kind of see the writing on the wall where his days of influence are coming to an end. It would be kind of like, you know, if you were working at, you know, Kmart 10 years ago. And you can kind of see the writing on the wall in an, in an Amazon.com world like, yeah, this might not be lasting too much longer. John the Baptist and his followers were kind of feeling that way. A little bit. But John was so faithful, continued to point to Jesus, even though his influence and his crowd was decreasing. Now, one day, 
John is with his disciples, and he sees Jesus, and he points to him, to John's disciples. He says, hey, guys, that's Jesus. That's the one. That's the Lamb of God. That's the Messiah. That's the one I've been telling you about. And what happens is some of John's disciples, they get up and leave and go follow Jesus. So John even more is like, oh, well, I guess there goes a few more. And some of those disciples that left were, one of them was Andrew, who turned out to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples, who went and told his brother Peter, who was a key disciple. Those were people that, because of John's willingness to point to Jesus, went and followed Jesus. And all through this, John the Baptist is recognizing, as we all should, you know what, it's not me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And this really was the legacy of John's life. It's not about me, everybody. It's about Jesus. There was another, another day in John chapter 3. Jesus now has a large following, and John the Baptist still has a few disciples that are following him. And as kingdom-minded as John the Baptist was, I think some of his disciples were starting, again, starting to see the writing on the wall a bit. So they come to John and they say, teacher, that Jesus you told us about, he's now baptizing people. He's baptizing people. What are we supposed to do about that? Should we try and stop him? And John the Baptist, I mean, the, 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 the disciples are kind of like, John, now Jesus is baptizing that's our thing. That's the thing we do. That's your thing. You're John the Baptist. That's, and, you know, if we lose the baptizing, what else have we got? This is kind of their mentality to John, their teacher. And John says these words, again, just as an example of his kingdom mindset, his Jesus-first mentality. He says these words, and I love these words that he says in John chapter 3, and they're going to be up on the screen. John three twenty-seven says this. After his disciples came to him, to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. And then verse 30, he must become greater, and I must become less. Wow, what an example that John sets for all of us. And those words that he spoke there, I just want to look at those briefly for a minute or two. He says, all I can do is what God has for me to do, and that's for all of us. All we can do is what God asks us to do. What does God ask us to do? That's all we can do. And then he uses this illustration of a bride and a bridegroom. Now, in that day and age different than what we would experience today. If you go to a wedding today, every, all the attention is about the bride. Everything's about the bride, whatever the bride wants, and that's the way it should be. And all the men said yes, or we took our fans and waved amen. Um, back then, it was really centered around the groom. That was the way weddings were back then. Now, of course, we read through Scripture that when Jesus, we, we, the illustration is used that we, the people, are the bride of Christ. We are the bride. He is the groom. That, that's kind of how that analogy is made. But what John is saying here is this. It's about the bridegroom. It's about the groom. And imagine the best man. The best man's job is to just make sure the groom has what he needs. The best man's job is to point to the groom and say, hey, this day is about him. This day isn't about me. This day is about him. Have you ever been to a wedding where the best man gets up and in his toast he tries to make it all about himself? <laughs> Have you ever been there? I was at a wedding a few weeks ago, 
And, uh, and the, the best man got up, and I'm pretty sure he was already a couple drinks in when he got the mic. And the w first words out of his mouth were, well, I didn't really prepare anything, but I just wanted to speak from the heart. And you could collectively hear the whole room go, oh, no, <laughs> he didn't prepare anything. <laughs> we know where this is going. And he went on to tell story after story, and it was really clear. These stories were designed to make him, the best man, look awesome. That was it. He was talking about himself, and it was all about him, and you could just feel it in the room. Everyone was just like, dude, this day is not about you, so put the mic down. Move on. Let's move this along. John the Baptist is using that analogy of a wedding, saying, I'm like the best man. I'm the guy who attends to the groom. And I am most joyful. My joy is complete when the groom is the center of attention. It would be today, you know, a maid of honor. My job is to point to the bride and make sure the bride is the center of attention. So what John is saying, my joy now is complete because Jesus is getting all the attention. Jesus has a crowd that is growing. His influence is growing. And even in the smallest bit of John's heart, there might have been a, oh, but what about me? What about me and my following? John is able to say, no, my joy is complete because Jesus is getting all the attention. It is about him. It is not about me. And my joy is now complete. And then John says the words that should be mounted on the wall of every Christ follower, those words that should be on our business cards, our, our Facebook statuses, our tweets, our, you know, our back tattoos, whatever it is, we should have these words that say this, he must become greater and I must become less. If we have that mentality as followers of Christ, he must be greater and I must become less. Amen. That is our motto as believers. Our lives will honor him when we simply, as John the Baptist did, point to Jesus and say, it's about him. It's about him, even if it costs me influence, even if it costs me, you know, for John, my disciples that leave and follow Jesus, even if it costs me whatever, he must become greater, I must become less. And this is kind of the in-between time where after John baptizes Jesus and Jesus is doing all those miracles, this is what is going on in John the Baptist's life. Well, eventually, John gets himself in a little bit of trouble because John was not afraid to speak the truth to anybody. So Herod, the story goes, Herod, who was the Roman ruler over that region at the time, he took his brother's wife. He just said, I like my brother's wife better. I'm going to take her. So Herod takes his brother's wife, and John the Baptist gets in Herod's face a little bit and preaches against it and says, this is immoral. This is against God's law. You should not be doing this. He kind of gets in. He's not afraid to talk to a person of power. And what happens is Herod gets a little miffed. And you know who gets more miffed is Herod's new wife, who gets really ticked. It's kind of the way it is in our family. If you mess with our family, I'll get pretty annoyed at you, but you get mama bear coming at you, and it's game over. And that might be the way it is in a few other families here. This is what happens, and Herod is mad that John the Baptist has the nerve to come in front of him, the ruler, and question his decisions. So Herod throws John in prison. Herod throws John in prison, and I imagine John, that day when he gets thrown in prison, he probably is just looking around. And this is John the Baptist who grew up in the wilderness. He was an outdoors man. He was outdoors all the time, now finds himself in this small, dark, cold, damp prison cell, maybe if he was lucky with one window that he could look outside. 
And I imagine his first thought might have been, well, John, you're the one who said he must become greater, I must become less, because this is certainly less right now. This is John in prison. And this is where the story picks up in Luke chapter 7, which I'm going to read from today. Luke chapter 7, in verse 18. Now, all this is going on. John is in prison. Jesus is doing miracles. People are following him. And this is what happens in Luke chapter 7, verse 18. It says this, John's disciples, the disciples of John the Baptist, told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord, to Jesus, to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? I imagine it would be tough for John in that prison cell. And we see now doubt is starting to creep in a little bit. That John the Baptist, that same John the Baptist who all those years pointed to Jesus, said it's not about me, it's not about what happens to me, it is about Jesus. Now things have fallen apart and he is in prison and there's no reason for him to think he's ever going to get out of this prison. And he hears all that Jesus is doing. His disciples, his remaining disciples are coming to him and saying, John, now Jesus is doing this. Now Jesus is doing this. And John, I imagine, gets to that day where he just can't take it anymore. He's like, what about me? I'm in prison. So he sends these disciples to Jesus, and he says, are you even the Messiah? Are you even the one we were expecting? Are you the Son of God, or should we look for someone else? He's now even questioning whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. Doubt has crept in, and he's thinking, all those miracles, Jesus, you're doing are great. You're curing all those people of leprosy and healing blind eyes and preaching the good news of the gospel. But what about me? What about prisoners being set free? How about a little bit of that? What about me? Alone, forgotten, my life has fallen apart. I didn't do anything wrong. I just preached the truth. I was doing what you asked me to do, and now this disaster has come. My life has fallen apart. What about me? Should, you, should we be expecting somebody else? Are you even the one you say you are? In other words, John is just saying, has my whole life been a huge waste of time? Pointing to Jesus, following Jesus, is it good for anything? Does this even work? What good can come of this? I think this could be perhaps the most relatable passage of Scripture to a lot of us during times of our life, right? When things fall apart, when things don't go well, something with our marriage or our family or our job or our finances or our health, whatever it is, and we can say, God, I followed you, I prayed, I've been faithful, and yet this continues to happen. This happens to me. God, where are you? Have you forgotten about me? Have you forgotten about me? You're out doing your kingdom work around the world. What about me? Don't I matter? My life is falling apart. Are you even the one that you say you are? A good God that can heal, that can restore, that can mend. Are you even that God? And I think we've been there. I've been there. I've been there in times where I sensed that God had promised something for my family or for a ministry or whatever it was, and it just seems like, okay, God, apparently you've forgotten about this. Or when our family had been going through difficulties with health things or other things, and just like, okay, God, we've been serving you. We're following you. What about this? 
certainly you could do something about this. If you were God and you were powerful, you could so easily, so easily deliver me from this or heal this or mend my marriage or help my kids or whatever it is. Have you been there before? I've been there. Maybe you've been there. Well, if that's you today, you can relate to this story of John the Baptist. You can find good company with John the Baptist because one of the great characters, one of the great men of faith in the Bible had that moment where he questioned everything, where he questioned everything. So the disciples, they go, the disciples of John, they go to Jesus and they ask him that question. Hey, John wants to know, John, your friend who's in prison, wants to know if you're even the one that we are expecting, if you're even the Messiah, or should we be looking for somebody else? And Jesus' response isn't a couple of things. Jesus responds, he didn't, he didn't respond with a, how dare John question me? You know, where's your faith, John? Come on, buddy, where's your faith? A little prison, and all of a sudden you're like ready to give up on everything. He doesn't do that. But he also doesn't say, what? John's in prison? Let's go. I'm going to bust him out of there. Let's get him out of there. I didn't know that. You know, it wasn't that either. Jesus responds in verse 22. And this response is, I love this response, but I also don't like this response. Because if I'm, if I'm in prison and I hear this response, it might not be the answer I'm looking for. Jesus replied in verse 22. So he, Jesus, replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Verse 23 says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Wow, obviously that <laughs> when John hears that, it's probably not the message he's looking for. He's probably aware of all the things that Jesus is doing. What John is looking for is, I'm coming to bust you out of prison right now. This darkness that you're in now, this battle that you're in now, this trial that you're in now, I'm going to end it right now. That's the answer we want, right? That's the answer John would have been looking for. I want out of this mess right now. Jesus, you can come get me out of here right now. But instead, what John hears from Jesus is, John... It's working. The plan is working. It's worth it. The gospel is being preached. Those who are sick are being healed. Eyes are being opened to the truth of God's love. The plan is working. What you have given your life for, John, has been worth it. It is working. The kingdom is moving forward. Look at all these things that are happening. And then those words he ends with, blessed is the one who doesn't fall away on account of me. Blessed is the one who doesn't stop following me because of the things that I do. Wow, that would be hard to hear, right? Blessed is the one who doesn't fall, fall away when things don't go the way they like, who don't give up when they don't get the answer they like. Blessed is the one who can still worship even when God doesn't play right, <laughs> even when God doesn't cooperate with our agenda or our plan. Blessed is the one who can still offer a thanks giving, offering of worship to God, even when things are falling apart. Those songs we were singing that Christy was leading this morning. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless his holy name. In every circumstance, we can say, God, you are still worthy of praise. This is what God, this is what Jesus is saying to John the Baptist. Blessed is the one who still has a heart devoted when life falls apart. 
who can set aside their personal agendas and expectations in favor of God's greater plan. This is a hard lesson, but this is a lesson of discipleship. Blessed is the one that can still stay faithful, even when God doesn't do the way, the things that we want or in a way that we expect. We don't know how John responded. The disciples went back, I imagine, and told John what Jesus had said, and it's not written how John responded. It could have been that John heard that and just had another reason to think, oh, he doesn't even care. But I like to hope and I like to think that John had that moment of clarity where he remembered all those days where he was pointing people to Jesus and he said, that's right, that's right. It's not about me. It's not about me. I must become less. He must become greater. The kingdom is advancing. That's right. It's about people's lives being changed. Even if I find myself in a battle, I know that I am not forgotten, but yet the kingdom is moving forward. Lives are being changed for his glory and his praise. And that is what our mentality needs to be, right? No matter what we face, it's about him. It's about his kingdom moving forward no matter what? Even if it costs me something, even if it costs me my life, which in this part of the world, we are able to gather freely on a Sunday morning and we're not worried about persecution, you know, real persecution. I was reading an article that, you know, they, they estimate every five minutes somebody gives their life for faith somewhere in the world where they are persecuted for believing in Jesus. So that means in the time I've been talking, about five people have died for their faith. What are we going to do when we face trials? Are we going to give up? Are we say, God, this doesn't work. Faith doesn't work. This is like our magic bug spray concoction in the backyard that doesn't work at all. We just wasted our time. It doesn't work. Or are we going to say, no matter what, I still trust that you are good. No matter what, I still trust that you are with me and moving on my behalf and working in my life. And I know that it's not what we talked about last week. It's not about the payout now. It's not about everything going good now because we know heaven in eternity awaits. We know all these things so we can confidently say, God, you are still good, even if it costs me something, even if my life is difficult, even in those moments where it feels like everything is falling apart, we say in faith, and sometimes that's the only way we can say it, in just raw faith, I still believe you are good. I still believe you are good no matter what. And we find out that for John, eventually it did cost him his life. Remember I had said that Herod was mad, but he was content just keeping John in prison. Well, his wife was really mad, and she concocted a plan to have John executed, and that's what happened. And John lost his life. I don't think he ever got out of that prison until he was executed that day. Well, that call is the same for each of us, to just be willing to say, no matter what, no matter what, I'm still going to believe that you are good. I'm going to trust you. This is your kingdom, God. You are at work. You must become greater. We must become less, right? We must become less. You must become greater. It's about him. In every detail of our life, in everything we do as students at school, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, it is about pointing to Jesus. It's about you, Jesus, doesn't matter if this costs me something. You are the one that I want to see lifted up. Even if it costs us our influence or our circle of friends or people who are close to us say, I don't want to be around you anymore. We can still say, God, you are still worth it. 
You are still worth it. You are with me. You are walking with me through this life. Even in the difficult times, I know you are there. You are loving, and you are with me. And there is no higher form of praise and worship than even when we are struggling, we say, God, you are good. You are good. You are worthy of praise. Even in the midst of the storm, we say, God, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. We see in throughout Scripture times when people were facing difficulty, when they offered a song of praise to God, how God receives that as the highest form of worship. He responds in those moments of faith where when we are struggling and the hardest thing to do is to say, God, you are still good, when we still say it in faith, you are still good, I love you, and I trust you. That's our way of saying, God, I don't live for the now. I don't value all the things that the world values. I live for you. I live for what you are going to do in my life, not only today, but later and in eternity. It is worth it. It is worth it. Now, this story, I'm going to wrap up in a couple minutes here. This story could kind of, when you read it, you could kind of think, man, Jesus didn't even care about John the Baptist. It was one of those things, like John did all these things. Does Jesus not even care? Well, if you read the story, after those disciples came to Jesus and said, are you the one we should be expecting? And Jesus gave his answer. Those disciples left and told John what Jesus had said. Jesus sat down with the rest of the group and said, you know what? John the Baptist, all the prophets that came before him, John the Baptist is one of the greatest. Jesus takes a moment and says, John has faithfully served. John has huge value in the kingdom. But then Jesus also says, but in the kingdom, it's not about that. It's not about that. It's about becoming less so that the kingdom can move forward. This was the lesson that Jesus was teaching. John, John was not forgotten by Jesus. It was just he needed that perspective. And then it says the day after that, or the day that John was executed and killed, Jesus finds out, and he goes away to a place to just be by himself because he wants to mourn for his friend, John the Baptist. John was not forgotten. When we're going through times of trials, it's easy to think, God, you don't even know I'm here. You're never forgotten. You are never forgotten. God's eyes are always with you. When you're in the darkness or walking through the battle, whatever you are facing, you know that God is with you. He sees the tears you are shedding. He sees the battle you are with. And he is just saying, just stay faithful. It's going to be worth it. You're going to get through it. It's going to be worth it. One day you're going to look back and you're going to say, it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. I promise you, someday we're going to get to heaven and John the Baptist is one of those guys I'm going to want to talk to because I just, I think that whole story is so great. And I promise you that there's, you know, be like Disney, there's going to be a lineup to talk to John the Baptist and maybe we'll have like a fast pass or something like that. You can punch in your time to go to talk to John the Baptist. I promise you that John the Baptist is going to say it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. That momentary storm in the prison cell, losing my life, what a better way to lose my life, to give my life than for the gospel. I promise you, John is going to say it was worth it. Every step was worth it. No matter what, it is worth it. It is worth it. So I want you to be encouraged today if you are in the midst of a battle, of a storm, of a doubt where you're even thinking, God, are you even good? Are you even the one? I mean, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, and I've just seen nothing Are you the God that we read about, or should I be looking for somebody else? 
I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. It is worth it. God sees you. He is with you. And our response always has to be, God, I trust you. I want to become less. I want you to become more. In my life, I want it to be all about exalting you. Let's pray together.